0: All right, our passage this morning is going to be out of Joshua chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 17. All right, Joshua chapter 3, 1 through 17, this is the Word of God. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out for Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about two thousand cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that I, that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan." And Joshua said to the people of Israel, "'Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God.' And Joshua said, "'Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan.' Now, therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away, at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah and the Salt Sea were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho, Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.
1: All right. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Clay. Um, In in my lifetime, uh, I've had five major moves. Uh, The first... Was heading to college, went from Jackson to, most of y'all know my, my dirty little secret, I moved to Oxford from Jackson, uh, then from Oxford after I graduated from there. I uh, went with, on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, moved to Tallahassee, was at Florida State doing ministry there, then moved to Storkville uh, to continue with, with Crusade, and then we, about 10 years later, we moved to Salerno, Italy and back for, for, for a year there. And so uh, uh, that's that's um, not too much moving. You know, a lot of people will, will do a lot more. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, a person will move eleven times in their life, and the average thirty-year-old has moved six times. I thought that was interesting. So, so I'm kind of trending below average for for most people. But but whenever you move or you're about to move, there's some anxiety. As, as, associated with it usually there's some anxiety about is this the right decision to make or should we should we or shouldn't we go uh and then after you move there's also that you know kind of buyer's remorse just like gosh I, you know should we've gone should we have stayed and so there can be kind of some some difficulty that's associated with that with, with moving how, how you feel about it before and after and, and, and all throughout but anyway i think there's some comfort that comes from the scriptures uh, about how god works with his people and I don't really think this is like a verse on moving. This isn't a sermon on, hey, if you're about to move, here some stuff. But I just think there's some things that you, we can see about how God works with His people, and in particular His people here, that I think applies to us in ways that I think would be comforting for us. So in our passage today, it's a famous passage. Israel is going to cross the Jordan River. Uh, and on their way uh, to the Promised Land, as they're crossing this river, I think there's three things that's clear that's happening as they do that. So first... This is clearly happening by the providence of God. Uh, he has been leading Israel here for a very long time. This is not by accident or chance that this is happening. Uh, second, God is the one who's making this happen. This is not Israel. This is not Israel being ambitious. Uh, this is not being done according to their strength, wisdom, or godliness. God's making this happen from, from start to finish. This is the work of God. And then third, even though this move across the Jordan happens by God's providence and by God's work, uh, there's still work uh, to be done on the part of Israel. So uh, as we look at this story about Israel crossing the Jordan, I want to consider three things. Uh, one, God's providence. Two, God's work. And then three, our work. So first, God's providence. So Israel going into this land uh, has been a long time coming. In, in Genesis Genesis 15, we read about God's promise to Abraham. There's this land that he promised them. That's why it's called the promised land. And so this is of years before this moment and then Moses when he's leading them out of Egypt uh, he's leading them towards this land so that's a 40-year window from them leaving uh, Egypt getting to the spot where they're at now and and even though they were oppressed in Egypt they eventually were met with some adversity and they immediately regretted that they had left Egypt Uh, and they didn't have it better in Egypt but one thing they did have in Egypt was food and so when food got scarce they were like well We had food there, and they're like most of us. We tend to look back on the past with rose-colored glasses when we're in a season that's difficult. We look back to a time where it wasn't that difficult and think those were the good old days. Uh, If you're having a difficult time, you probably tend to do that too. But as Christians, we need to know that our time and our place and our situation, whatever, whatever situation we're in, whatever's going on, we are not there by accident or even by our own design. We are th- where we are because of God's providence and not by chance. I've mentioned this last couple of weeks. Wherever we are, you being in Starville, Mississippi, or, or transitioning here or about to go to wherever it is, you are where you are by God's providence. It's not of your own doing. Now, you might think that, well, Kevin, this is, this is more unique to Israel. Like God was doing a special thing with Israel. Uh, God actually spoke to Abraham and promised it. And then there was Moses and then all these signs. And so you might think, well, I think God works that way in general. But I'm not sure he works that way in particular, like with me in my situation. But I think what the Apostle Paul says in Acts 17 might affirm this idea that maybe he does work in particular, like the, I think he does. But he says this in Acts 17, verse, verse 26. He says, Paul says this, And He, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being." So it seems to me, and I just shared a couple scriptures here, but it seems to me clear throughout scripture that God is the one directing traffic. And it's not us making these ultimate decisions. It's ultimately God determining our time and the place. In him, we live and move. We are where we are by God's hand and not our own. And now when we we tend to think about our living and moving in regards to being happy and and thriving, and that's, of course, only natural. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm not sure that's how God thinks about it. God is the one who's moving things around, not us. He determines our allotted periods and our dwelling places. So he is moving all the pieces around, though it feels very much like we're making decisions, right? But he is the one who's moving pieces around. If you, had, if you had a decision you made, well, he's the one changing your heart, steering your heart to do, and make certain decisions. And we get a clue of what his agenda is as he's moving these pieces in Acts 17, 27. I just read it. He's moving people around so that they will seek him and feel their way towards him and find him. And these things tend to happen. This seeking God, feeling our way towards Him and finding Him, tend to happen more in seasons of difficulty than in seasons of peace and prosperity. And obviously, peace and prosperity aren't bad things or things we should try to avoid, but they can have a numbing effect on us seeking God. And and look, we can never really know what it is God is doing. We can only trust that He is good and He's somehow working all things together for the good of those who love Him or are called according to His purposes. And one way this could and should comfort us is that it takes the pressure off. Wherever you are right now is not ultimately because of you. He is the one who is moving things around. And these the, the illusion that you're the ultimate decision maker it's not you ultimately making these decisions. Whenever you are making a decision, you're ultimately really on a discovery process. God has a place for you to be, a place for you to go, things for you to do, and he has not revealed them to you, but he will steer your heart at certain times so that you will land in your allotted time and the, the boundaries that he has determined for you. So we don't need to be so worried about whether or not we will make the right decision. Or if we did make the right decision, he will accomplish his purposes with our good and our bad decisions. He will even leverage our sinful decisions for our good. I feel like I'm always talking about the story of Joseph. I find it so encouraging. But in the end with Joseph, y'all know the story. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery and then a famine broke out. And so what saved Joseph's brothers from the famine? What saved Joseph's brothers from the famine is that they got involved in human trafficking. They sold their brother to be a slave to people who were traveling through. That's unbelievable. That's awful. That's wicked. And God somehow leveraged that for their salvation. So I find that profoundly comforting because I am rich in unwise and foolish things. I, make, I can be sinful, selfish, prideful, and operate out of that. But somehow for good, our God will take those things for his people and leverage them somehow for good. So getting back to Joshua, in chapter 3, verse 11, we read this. Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites. So God is putting his people in this time and place, and he's brought them to a place where all of these people are going to have to cross a river. That's not an easy thing. You know, we think about rivers, no problem. You just go over a bridge. We don't think of rivers as a challenging thing. But for them, it was like deal breakers, game stoppers, like it's over, we just go as far as the river goes, then it's no more. But this was what God was doing to bring them to a place where they had to feel their way towards him, seek God and find him, and God was going to do something here that would fuel them with the faith that they would need for the future task that God was giving them. So now I want to talk about my second. The first point was God's providence. The second point is God's work. Let's talk about that. So Joshua chapter 3, verse 7 through 8 says this. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you... Command the priest who bear the ark of the covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So the priest, they get the ark, they go into the to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, and when their toes get into the water, their assignment, their job, their task was to stand still. And Joshua would explain what would happen in verse ten through thirteen. He says this. Joshua said, here's how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the souls of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap so in order for Israel to know that the living god was among them and that he would without fail drive out the nations that were before them god was going to cut off the river from flowing and the waters flowing down would stand in one heap Joshua was not encouraging the people of Israel to believe in themselves. He was telling them to put their hope in God. He is the one at work. You just need to go and put your toes in the water and stand still. And and this whole story about crossing the Jordan is obviously a parallel to Moses and and, and the Red Sea parting. And, and we see something similar that Moses said in Exodus 14. So Moses is leading the people of Egypt, I mean the people of Israel out of Egypt and they get to the Red Sea and they're trapped because the, the Egyptians changed their mind. They're pursuing them. And so Moses is trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army pursuing them. And so the people were afraid and complaining that God put them in this miserable situation. They wish they'd never left Egypt. And just before God parted the Red Sea, Moses says this in Exodus 14. As Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So when Joshua is about to cross the Jordan River, the Lord tells him to just stand still. And when the Lord is about to part the Red Sea, he tells them, You have only to be silent. You know, often we might approach the Bible and, and we might first ask, Lord, what would you have me to do? Not a bad question, right? Obviously, it's not a bad question. But I, I wonder if that's what we should look for first. And I wonder if what God wants us to look for first is that He's at work. And we should set our hope in our God who is working. Consider Psalm 78, verse 4 through 7. It says this, We will not hide them from their children, but but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. So you're saying, we're going to tell our children about the glorious deeds of the Lord. the, the, The things, the mighty things that He has done. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. So fathers, teach your kids about the glorious deeds the Lord has done so that the next generation might know them, the children yet on board, and arise and tell them to their children. And here it is, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So first that they should set their hope in God. We, We all pray for our kids. We might pray for them to be obedient. Good prayers. We should first pray for them to have their hope set in God. What God was doing bringing Moses and Israel to be trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea was teaching them that they should set their hope in God. What God was doing bringing Joshua and Israel to the Jordan River was teaching them to set their hope in God. And it's very likely that right now God is working in your life in some way that you don't see, but He is teaching you to set your hope in God, and likely it's coming through some measure of difficulty. And this is the whole theme of the Bible, isn't it? I like think even the gospel, the main idea, the whole gospel is kind of moving forward. The coming of the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's all moving towards this story about how God saves His people. And it's not about how God's people save themselves. God became man in the flesh. God incarnate, Jesus. He fulfilled the law, was obedient to all that the law required. Even fulfilling the punishment that the law required for sin, even though He had no sin. And so all that we need to do is believe and repent. We can't save ourselves by being good enough. It's only by the, work, the finished work of Christ. And consider again what the Apostle Paul said in Acts 17, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him. God determines times and places for His people. Why? So that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and Find him. Israel was stuck between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. Later, Israel would be blocked from the promised land by an overflowing river. And again, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that God has placed you exactly in the situation in which you find yourself. And probably especially if you find that situation to be difficult so that you might seek your God Perhaps feel your way towards Him and find Him. And then set your hope in Him. So wherever we find ourselves as Christians, we should assume that ultimately we are there by God's providence and not our own decisions. And it is almost irrelevant whether those decisions were good or bad, wise or foolish, because ultimately it is God who is at work. He's the one moving the pieces where he wants them. God has determined our allotted times in our dwelling places. And I see no reason that you can override that with a stupid mistake. He is at work doing things that you don't know he is doing and perhaps you will never know what he's doing. But you can know this. He's at work. Now, with all this talk about God's providence and God's God's, God's work, you could see where somebody might become fatalistic. Well, what, what will be, will be. So it doesn't really matter what I do. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a common error for people who have a high view of God's sovereignty. But again, what we, what we see in Psalm 78, I, I think, doesn't allow for that. Remember, it says, We will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord in His might and the wonders that He has done so that they should set their hope in God. So that's where we're going. Set your hope in God. But then it goes on to say, and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. So the effect of, right, of, of rightly putting your hope in God should be to keep God's commands. The product of hope is not passivity, but activity. So let's consider for a moment our work, our part. So the Israelites were given specific instructions to follow. They were told to take the ark with the people following, go to the Jordan where the priests were to step into the brink of the river. And when they got there, God was going to work. The river would stop flowing and it would mount up into one heap. But they still had to go to the river and cross it. And this, you know, we read over this real quick, but this is tons of people who were packing up, putting up their tent, going to the river, and it just wouldn't have made sense. It would have seemed like not a good idea for us to pack up and go to the river. There was probably a lot of complaining about it, a lot of frustration. It probably didn't make sense to folks. But even though God was doing all the heavy lifting, He still did require something of His people. And part of what God desires in His providence and in His work is for His people to do stuff. He he doesn't set the table for nothing he doesn't take you to a place for no reason he has things for you to do and his providence and his works are meant to provoke his people to action and and for for israel here to eventually take the promised land they were going to go to war they were going to do a lot of work there were specific things that were scary that they were going to have to do and look there's there's two very understandable errors that christians can make Uh, When we're talking about all this stuff, one comes from a high view of God's providence and the other can come from a high view of our own productivity. Where We don't even trust God. We think it's all up to us. Uh, But but, but some who are maybe more reformed in their theology can lean towards a passive form of dependence on God and they can almost be suspicious towards anyone giving real effort. It almost looks like legalism or self-reliance, like they're not trusting God, trying hard, and trusting God almost seemed like that can't, that doesn't go together for, for them. They confuse hoping in God with passivity. But even when God does work mightily on behalf of his people, he calls them to action. They had to break down their tents, pack up, get their families together, and go over the sea or go over the river. And they were eventually going to go to war. They had a lot to do. But when people get a type of dependence on God that leads them to inaction rather than action, then sometimes I think people, and look, this is the, the, they have their hope set in God, and we can mess up any doctrine, right? But sometimes people can have their hope so set in God that it leads to this, this uh, passivity that can almost lead to testing the Lord. For example. When, Jesus was, when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he told Jesus to throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple and that the angels would save him. And that would prove that he really is the Son of God. But do you remember what Jesus said in response to that temptation? He said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So that means there's a type of, of faith, it's a bad faith, that's not really faith, but it's testing the Lord. And I think in some ways, is when you could put God on your agenda and ask him to prove himself according to your terms, that's not good. We don't get to set the agenda. We don't test God. He can test us, but we don't test him according to our agenda. God did not stop the Jordan River until they put their feet in the water. And when they did, things happened. And if we understand God's providence and God's work, then it should motivate us to action. God is constantly setting the table and doing more than we can see. And since we don't know exactly what he's doing, what we do have is his revealed will, his commands that he's given us to follow. That's what we can do to walk into the work he has, he has done. And, and, and since, since he is setting the table, since he is at earth, is at work, Why wouldn't we want to do all that He is asking? We would only be missing out not to. So, may God help us to find great comfort that just as sure as history is unfolding according to plan, so our lives are unfolding according to His plan. And may that motivate us to action, to to do things for the Lord, all that He has revealed with our hope set in Him, not forgetting to do all that He has commanded us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that that you have been at work throughout all of history, Uh, the history we see in the scriptures uh, and even in our lives, that we know we can trust you, you are faithful, uh, that you will uh, accomplish all that you've set out to do. And would you help us to have great hope in you? And would that hope uh, stir us up to action, that we might be faithful to keep all your commands. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.